Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. World News Today. And only you can decide what you want, what you want this country to be, what you want to do with the future. Vote like your whole world depended on it. Voters should not be forced to go to the polls with their fingers crossed. They understand what peace demands. What America needs are leaders to match the greatness of her people. Campaign appearances are getting closer and closer together as each candidate tries to get in his best shot. Vote. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. It's going to get dirtier in these last few days. No apologies, no regrets. We will not be coerced. We will not tolerate being pushed around. Hey, what's up, church? Great to be with you today, whether you're in person or joining us online. I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to Liquid. Hey, we are a couple weeks away from a presidential election. And I know some of you are like, yay, isn't it exciting? You love the drama, watching the debates. While others of you are like, deliver me, Lord. I can't wait for this to be over. You just like hate it, right? The partisan bickering, the poison politics, the, the heated arguments around your dinner table. And that's why we're doing this series called Avoiding Election Infection. Because if you're not careful, you can contract a case of toxicus politicus, or toxic politics. Uh, the symptoms include elevated blood pressure, uh, some social media vomiting, uh, broken relationships with those we love. You know, last week we took a deep breath, right? Of fresh air. We, lear- we just looked at the nonpartisan politics of Jesus and his revolutionary message about the kingdom of God. And what we learned is that Jesus is neither totally red nor blue. He's neither conservative or liberal. We said Jesus, in many ways, it's red plus blue equals purple, baby. Jesus is the color of royalty, after all, because he is a king. Ding! Jesus brought a kingdom, and so it's really, uh, it transcends man-made politics, and it's really a fool's game to hijack Jesus for political purposes. See, no single party can fully represent the kingdom of God. Amen? So what that means is it doesn't really matter if you're a Republican or Democrat or you're Libertarian or whatever. God's got a big tent, and he is the ultimate independent. King Jesus actually called together people who were at opposite ends of the political spectrum. Just take two of his 12 disciples. Jesus called Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. In other words, one worked for the government and one wanted to overthrow it. And Jesus said, hey, both you guys, get in the back seat. Follow me. And it shows us, man, when God comes, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Amen? Type amen in the chat if you believe it. Look, we're a little crazy. Here at Liquid, we believe something that the world thinks is crazy. We actually believe that King Jesus makes it possible to disagree politically and still love each other unconditionally. Amen? We believe it. And we're a diverse church. Like right now, you are surrounded by brothers and sisters from different races and backgrounds with different viewpoints. So if you're looking for like a church full of like Stepford Christians who like we all dress the same, we all talk the same, think the same, vote the same, this ain't it, baby. We are a brilliantly diverse kingdom community. We're not a voting block beholden to Washington. 
our King Jesus died in the center of two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And when Jesus looked down from the cross, he challenged all of us. You know what King Jesus said? He said, you've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you on Facebook. <laughs> but how do we do that practically? I mean, here we are in the 21st century. Well, that's what I want to teach you today in a message that I'm calling How to Love People You Disagree With. Anybody got someone they love who just drives you up the wall politically? Like a family member or a relative, an aunt or an uncle, a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. This week I got a heartfelt email from a woman in our congregation who wrote this. She said, Pastor Tim, I'm in desperate need of some tangible practices and strategies for loving someone unconditionally across the divide. Specifically, I need those strategies for my relationship with my significant other. Listen to this. I'm very conservative, and my boyfriend leans more liberal. Well, our bickering about politics has gotten way out of hand, as I actually gave him an ultimatum and said we'd break up if he voted for a particular candidate. I look forward to your next sermon. Hopefully, I can put key takeaways into practice with my relationship. Man, how romantic, right? <laughs> she votes red, he votes blue, debate is hot, so are you. <laughs> this, this is like where the rubber meets the road, guys, right? Like I talk to so many people who feel conflicted. They're like, man, I got this family member I love, but then they, they just grind my gears when it comes to politics. We don't see eye to eye, so we end up going toe to toe. Like whenever the family gets together and politics comes up, you know, it's like, rare. the fur starts flying. You guys know how easy it is, right? It's like a Thanksgiving, like your brother-in-law says, you know, I always admired you as a smart, educated person. So how could you vote for so-and-so? And all of a sudden, the temperature in the room goes up, and, and suddenly he's raising his voice, and she's kind of rolling her eyes and crossing her arms, and then so-and-so quietly just kind of leaves the room and disappears. Tension. And so we avoid talking about it. Maybe in your home, politics is like religion, like it's a no-fly zone. It's too divisive, and someone always ends up angry or getting their feeling hurts, which sucks, right? Because it's hard to grow deeper in a relationship when there's stuff you can't talk about. So how do you love people with whom you disagree? Because reality is right now, guys, our world is being discipled by cable news. I mean, you got it. Cable news has a simple formula. It's put two talking heads at the extreme ends of the spectrum, and here we go, go! Who can talk the loudest? Who can score the best soundbite? Land the knockout punch. There's always a winner and a loser. And we wonder why our nation is divided. Guys, we have been discipled by cable news to think that's the only way you can talk about politics. But guys, the relational carnage has been catastrophic. It is dividing families. It's severing friendships, even building walls between believers, which is heartbreaking, and it breaks the heart of our king, King Jesus. See, Jesus' dream for his church is unity. Can you say that with me? Unity. U-N-I-T-Y. Unity. Not uniformity. Uniformity is where everyone talks, dresses, thinks, votes the same way. But unity is saying we got the shared commitment to the kingdom values of Jesus. In fact, did you know Jesus actually has a prayer request that he wants you to answer? Yeah, on the night before that he was crucified on the cross... Jesus gathered all his disciples together, and he prayed to his father. So I, I want you to just imagine, imagine Jesus visits your small group, and you come to that time in the group where, where, where the leader goes, does anybody have a prayer request? And, and Jesus raises his hand, and he's like, I've got one. Like, everyone kind of leans in. Well, in John 17, verse 11, Jesus prayed these words. He said, Holy Father, 
protect them, that is my followers, by the power of your name, so that they may be one as we are one. Unity, oneness, one heart, one vision, one love. He's like, I want them to be just like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're, we're different people, but we're spiritually fused together by love. And Jesus said, I pray that my disciples be marked by this radical unity in a very divided world. Guys, that was our king's dying vision in the last hour of his life. And then listen to this. Jesus then prayed for you and for me. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, guys. That all of them may be what? What does it say, church? One father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He said, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to, what's it say, church? Complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you've loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. Guys, did you catch this? Like, what was Jesus' final prayer in the final hours of his life? That his church would be brought to complete unity. Why was that so critical? Like, did you hear it? Jesus said, because loving each other is actually living proof that my kingdom's real. See, in a deeply divided world, Jesus knew if he could bring together people from such diverse backgrounds and races and social classes— different political perspectives, like there's tax collectors and there's zealots, there's Pharisees over here and prostitutes here and, and Greeks over here and Jews and slaves and masters. If his kingdom could somehow unite people who have no earthly business loving each other and fuse their hearts together, then what would be the result? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, love is the ultimate apologetic. Proof that the kingdom's real. And guys, hours later, King Jesus climbed up on a cross and he showed what that kind of love requires. Self-sacrifice. You got to lay down your power. You actually have to love your enemies if you're going to bring them to life. Guys, think about this. Jesus destroyed his enemies by making them his family. That's how the church started, guys. That's our origin story. Jesus loved you and me that much, he gave his life to reunite ours to God and to each other. That's unity. But the question is, how do we do that? Like, how do we, as Christ followers living in the 21st century, actually follow Jesus and love those with whom we disagree politically? Well, here's the bottom line principle, and I want everybody to write this down, type it in the chat. The main idea here is that when the kingdom values is that you always put people ahead. They're greater than politics. Can you say that? People over politics. That's my challenge to you. Between now and the November election, would you be willing to put the people in your life ahead of your political opinion? Specifically, I want to actually challenge you to think of one person in your life right now. Maybe you don't disagree politically. Some of you don't have to look hard. Maybe you're sleeping with them, right? Your husband or your wife. But you realize, man, God is calling you to love them at a new level unconditionally. For some of us, it's no laughing matter. You know, maybe it's your son or daughter who kind of has a liberal perspective. 
I heard from a mom this week who's, she's kind of heartsick about her adult children. Uh, she told me, she said, I'm conservative. I raised them in the church. And now, like a lot of millennials, they're progressive. She said, my kids, my adult kids supported Bernie Sanders. They're like, free college, free health care. And she's like, I thought we raised them Christian, not communist, right? Like, like we laugh, but she's really worried because there's this growing gap with her children. I mean, can you think of that person in your family as a growing gap? Maybe it's your dad or your, your granddad who's a lifelong Republican, right? They vote, he's always walked in lockstep with the religious rights. You know, vote right, right to life, right to bear arms. Uh, he wears a red MAGA hat and, and says, the Democrats are devils, don't trust them. Maybe put out a sign that says, you know, you know guns, God, and Trump on the front lawn. And, and, and he can't understand how anybody in their right mind could vote for Biden. You know, I talked to some people who are like, man, my, my, my parents sometimes says things that are insensitive, borderline racist in today's world. And you kind of cringe like you love them, but if you're honest, you're like, I'm losing respect. Who's that person for you? Maybe that person you disagree with politically is actually in the church. You've got a diverse group of friends, different races or ethnicities, and you love that. But then you saw someone from your small group on Facebook, and they're like posting pictures from, from a Black Lives Matter march, and, and you're kind of like, like, you shook your head, took you aback, like, you're like, wait, what? Isn't BLM? That's like a political thing. Plus, somebody in your family's a cop. And, and so you like chime in, you're like in, in the comment section, you're like, Blue lives matter too. And they'll say, boom, and like people jump all over you. And then suddenly the thread blows up. And now you go to church, you feel like this awkward distance with your brother or sister in Christ. And maybe I need to avoid them. You see, guys, the stakes? H how do we move past our fear and in faith move closer to those we di disagree with the way that Jesus did? Today, guys, I want to give you four practical ways to love people that you disagree with. And this is based on James chapter 1. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote this brilliant command to early Christians, and this is excellent coaching. Listen to this. James writes this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. He's speaking to the early church. You must all be, let's say it together, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. In other words, when you're around that person, the conversation all of a sudden turns contentious and you start feeling your, your blood pressure, you know, rising. And you can start shaking your head. And you're like, I'm losing respect for this person. What do we do? Step one, if you're taking note, God says, I want you to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And this is such an important, the Bible is so practical. I love this. The Bible is like God's game plan for living. Slow to speak, quick to listen. I want you to notice something. God gave you two ears and one mouth. What do you think he's trying to say? God wants you to listen twice as much as you talk. Loving well starts with listening well. And you may be like, Lis listening, listen to who? Listening to those who have a different perspective than you. Because you're a global Christian. I wouldn't try this with most churches, but you guys are global Christians. And you need to listen to not just Christians, but non-Christians. You need to listen to, to young and old, black, white, brown, yellow people, straight, gay, single, married. As a global Christian, you have to actually step outside the echo chamber of your social media channel if you want to understand why people think the way they do. See, guys, there's enormous value in having conversations with people you don't see eye to eye with. 
You, you may actually broaden your perspective on an issue. You may actually more, maybe you strengthen your opinion for why you're convicted, what you're convicted about. But when you are slow to speak and you're quick to listen, not defensively, guys, those conversations can be eye-opening. Because what you'll discover is that where you stand depends on where you sit. Have you ever heard that before? Where you stand depends on where you sit. It's actually called Miles's Law. It's named for a guy, his name is Rufus Miles. He was part of the Eisenhower and Kennedy administrations. And he said, where you stand on a certain issue depends on where you sit. In other words, context is decisive. Your political views and values, like where you take a stand, they're shaped by where you sit, like your background, your education, where you live, how much money you make. There's a bunch of factors, a lot of which we don't have any control over, like what have you been taught growing up? What have you seen? What have you experienced? Or what have you seen others experience? Where you stand depends on where you sit. You know, I saw this play out actually in real life with a uh, close friend of mine. After the George Floyd incident, I was having lunch with a black friend and I said, hey, tell me about like your history with the police. And he described growing up in an urban environment without a dad and how he said, Tim, I ran the streets starting at the age of seven. And from my earliest memory, he said, I remember running from the police, 5-0. And in college, he said, I remember being followed actually around in a store and then I was pulled over, didn't commit any crime and patted, taken out of the car, patted down. He said, it was, it was really intimidating to me. And so as he watched the George Floyd incident and many others in that chain, daisy chain of it, he said it was deeply traumatizing to me as a black man. Now, he met Christ in college. He actually has a beautiful family now. But he shared with me, he said, Tim, when my kids turned 10 years old, he said, I had the talk with them. I said, what's the talk? He said, the talk explaining what to do if the police ever pulled them over. He goes, they're only 10 years old. But I, I want them to know from the very beginning, you got your hands on 10 and 2, you put your wallet on your dash, your dome light on, you don't make a move even though they weren't even old enough to drive. And they said, um, why, what, what was your experience with the cops growing up? <laughs> and I'm like, I was a white kid in the suburbs of New Jersey. And I was taught you know, by mom and dad, like, hey, if you ever run into trouble, first thing you do, you call the police. And he just like laughed, he goes, bro, that's like the last thing we do in Chicago. My next door neighbor growing up, this is me speaking, was a cop. And I remember he would actually let me into his squad car and play with the lights. And I'm friends with a lot of police. I actually live in a small town. And generally, like, if I'm pulled over, hopefully not a lot, <laughs> more than I'd like, sometimes I actually know the officer personally, and, and they check my lights. They go, all right, be safe, Pastor Tim. Now, here's my question. Who's going to feel more passionate about the issue of police reform? Like, me or my friend. Like, who's more likely to believe implicit bias is a real thing, me or my buddy? See, where you stand depends on where you sit. Don't forget this, guys. Everybody's political opinion, it makes sense to them. Your political opinion totally makes sense to you. But theirs may not make sense to you because you don't share their background or their experience. You haven't sat where they sat. If you've ever, like, uh, had, had somebody in your orbit and you just hear them talking, you just kind of shake your head and you're just like, I, I, I just don't get them. I, I do not understand how someone could vote for so-and-so or support such-and-such such an issue. Notice what you just admitted. I just don't understand. In other words, you admitted you don't understand something. <laughs> That's why the Bible says you need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Lean in and listen, and you might actually learn something. Now, I get it. I get it. You may push back and be like, Tim, no, but man, liberals are crazy, and they're corrupt. Newsflash. I just want to tell you, 
Your Democrat brothers and sisters aren't all crazy. <laughs> Democrats aren't all corrupt. Just, just like your Republican brothers and sisters aren't all rich. They're not all racist. In fact, they're just like you. They sit in a different place and have a different perspective. So their political priorities are in a different order than yours. Does that make sense? So, so Tim, what do you tell me? I mean, do I have to just stay quiet? No. Should you speak up? Yes. Share your perspective. It's a free country. Your voice is needed. It's important. And you can share your opinion with conviction. You take a stand. Just don't be a jerk about it. Remember where you sit has limitations. Look what James adds. He says, be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow what? To get angry. Because he knew this was going to push our buttons. In other words, you can have strong opinions and still be loving and kind. See, here's the truth, guys. If, if like you get all cranked up and amped up and you get defensive, especially like over political issues, like especially during election season, if there's something in you that you just get upset, man, you just kind of boom, fly off the handle. You're actually quick to speak. You're quick to get angry. Can I just say, that's a you problem. That's not a political problem. That's a you problem. The global Christ follower is quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry, which leads to point number two. That's why you need to be curious instead of being a critic. <laughs> be curious, not a critic. And this is harder because I get it. Everybody loves to be the political pundit and the armchair quarterback and criticize and critique. But the second step here is really to listen for what makes sense about what the person said. You have to learn to ask great questions. So when a divisive topic comes up, like, hey, what's, your, what's kind of your take on gun control or, or the Second Amendment, immigration? How about, how about the Affordable Care Act? You actually need to be curious. You need to say, well, I'm curious. What led you to that view? T tell me how you arrived at that position. That's the sign of a great listener. It's the ability to ask great questions. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you may say something like this. You may say, hey, I know, um, I know most conservatives have strong opinions about Roe versus Wade, and I actually agree biblically. As a, as a Christian, I, I support that. I, I, I'm against abortion, but I'm curious why you don't feel as strongly about racial justice. I just would love to understand why that is. You, do you see how gracious that is? You're not seeking to be understood. You're seeking to understand them. You have to take this humble posture of a learner. Otherwise, you are going to discount anything that doesn't fit perfectly in your little worldview, which, by the way, is flawed and incomplete, unless you're God. Okay, so if you're God, if you're at that level, you're omniscient, you quit listening. <laughs> but let me tell you something. If you quit listening, you quit learning. And when you quit learning, something dies inside your soul. Guys, you're better than that. You are a global Christian with a big tent, so be curious, not a critic, Okay. Ask great questions of those you disagree with. You can say something like, hey, I, I know you see climate change as like a primary issue. And as a Christian, I value creation care too. But tell me, how do you, how do you balance environmental regulation with the impact on people's jobs? I heard like if you ban fracking, like a third of Pennsylvania would be out of work. The reality is, guys, see, most issues, they're not problems to be solved. They're just tensions to be managed. 100% like black and white issues, very rare in the real world. Can I just tell you? Most political issues are way more complex and nuanced, so you've got to show people, I'm willing to dive a little deeper. So be curious. Like, ask a small business owner how they feel about taxes or energy costs. Ask a senior citizen about, about how, how they feel about their prescription drugs. 
let, let me show you my cards. Can I just come out if you haven't caught it by now? I just have this bedrock conviction that Christ followers should be the most curious, confident, compassionate people on the planet. Guys, we should be curious. We love others well by listening well. We should be confident, not arrogant. Why? Because we know our eternity is secure. We have a firm identity as sons and daughters of God, and our hope is in Christ. So we're humble, yet confident. We're not threatened by others who disagree with us. I don't get threatened. And we're compassionate. We're understanding. We're empathetic. Why? Because God's had grace for you. So you have unlimited grace and patience for others, because we remember what Jesus did in our lives before we knew him. Guys, Christ's followers should be the most curious, confident, compassionate people on the planet. And what that means is, if you're going to talk to your family and friends about an issue that you disagree on, you got to first do a heart check. Like, why do you really want to have that conversation? Do you, do you truly want to understand why your friend feels the way she does? Or do you just want to change your mind? <laughs> you just want to push your buttons. Be honest. Because if you're just out to try to change someone's mind, that's not compassion. It's manipulation. It's not genuine dialogue. It's more of a loaded debate. And they will fa feel defensive. They will feel attacked, which is why the Bible counsels Christians to avoid arguments. Third big point. Everybody say that together. Avoid, avoid arguments. The Bible says bickering, quarrels, back and forth. What we sometimes say, oh, it's just a debate. No, 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 no. Look at this counsel that Paul gives in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says to young Timothy, he says, man, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the lord's servant remember you're serving the king must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone able to teach not resentful <laughs> can i just say those of you who are like i love debates this is critical because the goal in these kind of personal relationships should be dialogue not a debate and, and never a diatribe you are a kingdom ambassador in other words you are representing jesus and so the goal is constructive conversation back and forth where they feel had and heard and understood and then you do too so you got to understand guys the relational price tag when you start debating with somebody you love let me tell you man those kind of arguments they come with a very high relational cost how many of you know you can win an argument but lose the relationship right you can win the argument, but alienate your son. You, you, can, you can win the argument and damage your marriage. You can win the debate hands down with your in-laws and build a wall that just pushes them further away. God says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Most cable news. Because you know they produce quarrels. In other words, the relational cost is too high. Because when you try to nail them to the wall and win the argument, you're saying, I am not a safe person. It's more important for me to be right than in relationship with you. See, that's the key question, guys. Every Christian has to ask herself, do I want to be right or in relationship? Do, do I want to be right, make my point, or be in a right relationship with them? Because whenever the conversation gets crunchy and your blood starts to boil, you just got a choice. Do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? Because you can fight to be right all you want, but you can't be in that right relationship if you knock them down. So would you rather make your point, prove them wrong, and then burn that bridge with your son or daughter, or push your brother or your uncle further away from the family? 
You know, I read about this um, married couple. They've been married 15 years. And uh, he's a staunch Republican. And she voted for Obama twice. And she said it's led to a lot of friction in their marriage. And here's what she wrote. She said, every day I read the news and know that my husband's reaction is likely the complete opposite of mine. I'd prefer not to talk about it. But he loves to debate. It gives me daily anxiety to try and formulate my side of the argument before it happens. And I breathe a slight sigh of relief if it doesn't end up being a topic of conversation. In a nutshell, she writes, he tunes into Fox News and sides with my 78-year-old father. Whereas I tune into CNN and I have more in common with millennial progressive views. It's a strain, but listen to this. I refuse to let the hype and reality show ruin a loving relationship. Isn't that awesome? I love it, guys. She, she chose to fight for the relationship rather than make her point. She, look, she put her person ahead of her politics. Isn't that awesome? So take a sec right now. Think of that person you disagree with. Is it your mother-in-law, your father, your son, your daughter, your friend at work, or that person in your small group? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this question on a sticky note and post it all over your house. Do I want to be right or in relationship. I want you to stick that on your mirror, your fridge, your car, everywhere you look. And the next time they email you, or they're going to text you, or then, why'd they forward that article to me? And you just kind of roll your eyes and you start typing a response. Just <sighs> slow down. Just take a deep breath and ask it. Do I want to be right, or do I want to be in relationship? Because King Jesus calls you to put people ahead of your politics. And that means you have to be willing to do this last step, and I think it's the hardest. And that is step over any offense. In other words, when they do things that are offensive to you, they seem sort of insulting, it pushes your buttons, you got to be willing to step over it. Everyone say step over it. Step over it. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says this. A person's wisdom yields patience, but it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. You know one of the ways you bring glory to God? When somebody offends you, in other words, they call your candidate an idiot, or they just use, you know, inflammatory stereotypes. Democrats are, are, are demonic, and Republicans are all racist. God says, I actually want you, my will, is for you to step over it. Say step over it. Step over it. That is one way that God gets glory in a polarized world. See, our world teaches us, man, eye for eye. You hit my guy, I'm going to hit you back. But Jesus says, no, 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 man. I want you to power up. I want you to show strength. And by turning the other cheek. Again, this ain't modeled for us on cable news, right? Or on social media. <laughs> it is all about landing the knockout punch and scoring a point. That's how you get big ratings. But remember, you're not in it for the ratings. You're in it for the relationship. So the principle is this. Never, ever burn a relational bridge to score a political point. Never burn a bridge to make a point. And you may say, well, Tim, they started the fire, man. <laughs> Listen, just because they started the fire on their end of the bridge doesn't mean you start a fire on your end and we'll meet in the middle. You never burn a bridge to score a political point because this goes back to Jesus's prayer. This goes back to the cross, guys. This is the epicenter of what we believe as Christians. We believe that person on the other side of you is more precious to God than your political view. A view, by the way, that you probably changed from 10 years ago. 
this view that you will probably change five years from now. You never burn a relational bridge over a political view because you both have something in common. While you were both sinners, Christ died for both of you. Can you imagine how offensive that is to God? Like, how dare you? How dare I burn a bridge with somebody who Christ gave his life for? Guys, never forget, that person is more precious to God than any election. When you were separated from God, think about this. He was right. He was righteous. God stepped over your offense. He stepped over our sin. He came down to our level, and he built a bridge with the cross. He sacrificed everything to restore our relationship to God. So to love like Jesus just means you are going to have to, look, step over sin. Step over it. Even if the other person uses loaded language. Man, Republicans are heartless. Step over it. Democrats are corrupt. Step over it. They start attacking the candidate, lobbing verbal bombs. Don't take the bait. Step over it. In fact, better yet, listen to me. Disarm the bomb. You're better than that. Not better than them. You just have the spirit of Jesus inside. You got a secret weapon. So you can actually pray in that moment and say, God, you got to give me the self-control to step over this offense so I can watch this stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Now let me be clear about this. Stepping over offense doesn't always mean sticking around to listen to a fool. That's what Proverbs calls them. I'm not saying fool. Proverbs talks about the fool in Proverbs chapter 18. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Listen, God isn't asking you to stick around to be abused or to serve as a punching bag. If that person starts attacking or getting personal, sometimes the most Christ-like thing you can do is step away. You actually graciously withdraw. And, and they may come after you. They may be like, hey, wait, come on back here, man. And they may get up all up in your grill. Hey, hey, where are you going, man? Can't you take the heat? Come at me, bro. Come on, what do you got? And you simply say, oh, I'm sorry. I just realized something. I got a choice right now. <laughs> I can be right or we can be in relationship. And I choose this. I want this. Our relationship is just too important to me to let politics come between us. Never burn a relational bridge to score a political point. Amen? Now let me bring this all together. Take a look at this. I mean, wow, look at this kingdom picture for how you can be a winsome global Christian. Let's take a little bit of an inventory as we go to the polls. Check the polls in your heart right now. As a global Christian, should you engage the issues? Check yes, absolutely. The voice of Christ followers is vital in the public square. So don't skirt the issues. Don't dread talking politics. Christ followers should be the most curious, confident, compassionate people on the planet. Guys, we've got an eternal perspective. We're grounded in biblical conviction, but we're humble about it. We've got a supernatural power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do something the rest of the world can't. We know how to disagree politically and love unconditionally. Should you share your opinion? Check it off. Yes, be passionate about it. you got a perspective, and it should be voiced and hopefully heard. Guys, Christians are called to be salt and light in a dark and decaying culture. Just don't be a jerk about it. And don't vomit every thought that you have on social media. Can I just say, man, you're convincing nobody. Like, Facebook is a dumpster fire. It converts nobody. There, I've never met somebody who goes, you know, I was really entrenched in my view about the Supreme Court until I saw that clever Facebook meme. Said no one ever. <laughs> in fact, let me encourage you now through November, just limit your social media, man. Just avoid cable news or ditch it altogether till after the election because it just raises your anxiety 
and makes your spirit more argumentative. Burn a bridge to make a political point? Never. Jesus said, a new rule I'm giving you, man. Love one another as I have loved you. Put people ahead of your politics. Because remember this, guys. You can win the argument, but you could lose your son or daughter. You, you could put walls up with your parents. and You create conflict with your coworker. So you always have this choice in any conversation. You want to be right or in relationship. You choose. Let me just tell you the tragedy, by the way, of burning that bridge if you're a Christian. You have been called by King Jesus to influence people for eternity, not just an election cycle. He's chosen you to show them God's truth and help reunite them with the Heavenly Father who created them. And the number one way you do that is through relationship. So when you burn a bridge over a political point, and months from now, like when the election's over, temperatures have cooled, America isn't on fire, and then your neighbor or your relative or your coworker, they got a need, they got a question, but they can't ask you because you're not a safe person. How tragic would that be? You chose being right over being in relationship, and you lost influence. And that bridge that they might have actually walked over to you, and you might have walked them over to Christ, that bridge is broken. All over something in the heat of the moment, that seemed like it was a really big deal. But years later, you can't even remember what the issue was. You never burn a relational bridge because as a Christ follower, you and I are called to be a bridge to our loving God. So we need to pray for unity, guys. And we're going to do that right now. You remember Jesus' prayer request in the last hours of his life? He said, Father, may they be what? One, as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that you love them just as you love me. Guys, over the next couple of weeks, let's be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Let's be the church he dreamed about and died for. Amen? We're going to do that today by celebrating communion. Communion is something the church has done ever since our birth by Jesus. It's coming into union with God vertically and into union with each other horizontally. So if you have communion elements that represents the body and the blood of Christ, guys, this was the price tag of Jesus repairing our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It cost his life to love like that. If you think about the cross, it's perfect. The cross is vertical and it's horizontal. And the blood of Jesus says, let nothing come between you and God. My blood is going to wipe away your sins and repair the relationship. But watch, don't let anything come between you, a brother or a sister in Christ. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus says this. He says, if you're going to church to worship, you're, you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, just leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and what? Be reconciled to them. Then come, offer your gift. Take communion. So before we receive communion, let's just take a few moments. Ask God to examine your heart. Just think about your relationships, your brother, your sister, your parents, that, that person you disagree with. And if there's anything between you, make it right right now. Make it right with God. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Commit to forgive them. <laughs> Commit to reach out and be reconciled to them. And then we'll take communion together. Let's just take a moment. Father, we invite you to inspect our hearts. And by your Holy Spirit, surface anything impure. Lord, where we've gotten caught in the weeds and traded relationships for scoring political points, we're sorry. Forgive us, Father. Renew a right spirit in us right now. 
We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for his body broken on the cross, his blood shed, and it has restored us to union with you. So make us right with you and right with each other. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everyone said, amen. If you're a believer, you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can take the wafer and drink the cup right now. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.